Well, good morning again. I'm thankful that you're here. As I begin, I want to, uh, to just thank Ray Pyle for preaching in my absence last Sunday as I was gone with my family for a few days for spring break. And uh, Ray, is, if, you, if you were not here, Ray did a sort of a flashback sermon. If, you've, if, you're a, if you've watched a TV show where they kind of do a flashback that to, to develop the character a little bit, we kind of envisioned Ray's sermon and another sermon that James Henderson's going to preach later in this series, kind of doing the same thing, kind of flashing back to Peter's life, giving us some more context as we look at Peter's life and some of the things that shaped the person that he is who is writing this letter that we've been studying through in 1 Peter. So uh, if you were out last week because it was also your spring break, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. appreciate Ray uh, stepping in. Today we are going to return, though, to 1 Peter and continue working our way through this letter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to cover the first 11 verses in 1 Peter 4. And I want to just remind you as we start that really this letter in so many ways is... Really, this entire series is about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. It's about our identity as Christians. What kind of people are we and are we called to be as followers of Jesus Christ? And so, and what I've been suggesting throughout this study is that we're called to be different. We're called to be foreigners, which is why we titled this series Different. We live here, but we aren't from here. Our citizenship, our hearts belong to another kingdom. They belong to another king. And if this is true for us, then it will shape how we live our lives here. And so I want to pick up in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is where Peter begins. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I want to stop here, and, and you, can leave, you can leave it there for just a second. One thing that we know about, that you, that you need to know about 1 Peter 4 is that the word suffering or suffer shows up more in 1 Peter uh, than in any other New Testament book. Two of those places are here. Uh, the word suffer shows up six times in the entire chapter of 1 Peter 4. Two of those are here. We're going to see the other four when we study the last part of chapter 4. But it's going to be a theme, and so you need to be aware that it's going to be a theme that Peter is going to kind of drive home with us. When Peter talks about suffering, this is a particular kind of suffering. Peter's talking about it, suffering in two specific ways. I want to kind of talk about those for just a second. Suffering, number one, he's talking about suffering that comes because you have denied yourself because of your relationship with Jesus. You've chosen not to do certain things. You've chosen not to say certain things. You may want to. You may struggle to resist that at times, but you choose not to because of Jesus. You choose not to because of your relationship with Jesus, right? Does this make sense? So, so, so while it may not feel like suffering like you think about it, when you choose to not do something, I'm not going to talk about that person. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to go and participate in that activity. I'm going to leave that sort of lifestyle. When you choose those kinds of things because of your relationship with Jesus, there is a kind of suffering that happens with that choice. It's, mo it's a denying of your flesh, resisting your desire, right? That's a, there's a kind of suffering associated with that. And it's mostly an internal suffering. Like nobody's going to see probably that your suffering is maybe a mental decision that you're making. So that's one kind of suffering that Peter is 
referencing when he's calling us, he's calling these early Christians to live in a different way. He says, there may be some suffering associated with those decisions that you make to live different because other people are not going to follow that same choice. So that's the first kind of suffering that he's going to talk, that he's referencing when he talks about suffering. The other kind of suffering that he's talking about is suffering that comes from outside, right? This is the suffering that comes as a result of, of living your life in a certain way, in a particular way, but then other people maybe critiquing your lifestyle, responding to that negatively with confusion, with criticism, maybe with persecution. And right here at the beginning of chapter four, Peter says that the way to endure that sort of suffering is by arming yourself with a certain attitude. I want to look again at what he says. I want to go to the next slide. I want to highlight the, last, the middle part of this verse. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That word attitude there means to have a certain kind of mentality. It means to have a certain kind of mindset. Christ endured what he endured because he had a particular mindset. And that mindset was that he understood his suffering wasn't pointless. A lot of times you and I think that our suffering is pointless. We don't understand. Why is this happening to me? We don't understand why we go through hard things. Maybe that's because we made a choice. We're going to live in a certain way. Maybe that's because criticism comes from outside. Maybe it's because something else difficult happens in our life. But we think a lot of times that our, point, point, our suffering is pointless. We don't understand the reason or the meaning. And Peter, wanting us to be like Jesus, says, hey, as you suffer, think about how Jesus viewed suffering and do that. And so the question is, how did, he, how did Jesus view suffering? He saw suffering. Jesus saw suffering as a part of the reality of being human. I want to say that again. Jesus saw suffering as a part of the reality of being human. We cannot escape suffering, but we can go through suffering with the right attitude, with the right mindset. Jesus suffered because he lived a certain way. Jesus suffered because he loved people that other people, that certain people didn't love. Jesus suffered because he treated people fairly and honestly and with gentleness when people thought that those, those people who Jesus was treating that way needed to be treated differently than the way Jesus was treating them. Jesus, was, Jesus suffered because he said hard things that needed to be said and people didn't like it, so they wanted to kill him. And as a result of all of the things that Jesus did, he was misunderstood ultimately rejected and was put to death. But through all of that, Peter says, he had a resolve. He had a spiritual resolve. He had a certain mindset. He had a certain attitude as he went through those things. And when a person has spiritual resolve, what does that look like? What does it look like for someone to have <clears throat> spiritual resolve? Have you ever thought about that? They have a certain kind of determination. They have a certain kind of focus, a certain kind of strength in their spirit. They have, they're resolute. And Peter is saying, as you go through life, arm yourself. It's, all, it's almost the same image that Paul uses in one of his letters about putting on the full armor of God. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, arm yourselves with the same attitude that Christ had. And when you do this, Peter says, you will be on your way to knowing what it looks like to be different because 
People who have resolve, who have a strength in their spirit as they endure suffering, they are different. Can I be honest with you for a moment this morning? Really? Can I? The last two years have shown, not you specifically, but across the global picture of Christianity. The last two years have shown that there are a lot of Christians that do not have much spiritual resolve. It appears, although I'm hesitant to say it, that we have made it through the worst part of the pandemic. But what I also observe, and I'm not the only one, there's lots of people talking about this. It appears that though we've made it through the worst part, a pandemic revealed just how much we hate to suffer and we hate to do hard things. And I'm not saying that to beat us up. I'm saying it because I think it's important to tell the truth and be honest. And it's one reason I think Peter's letter is incredibly relevant right now for us as we think about who are we as followers of Jesus Christ. Here in chapter 4, he's laying out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus that has spiritual resolve, that knows that suffering is a part of the human condition. It is going to happen. It is inevitable. And it's like the last couple of years with a little bit of suffering and pain that some of us experienced, we, we, we lost, people lost their minds. And the first thing that he says is if you want to be different in this world and not be complaining constantly when you endure hard things, not be blaming other people when you endure hard things, but just enduring it, if the first thing that, you, that he says is to arm yourselves with the same attitude of Jesus Christ. And then he says this line. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. You can go to the next one. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. If you arm yourself, Peter says, with the attitude that Jesus had when he suffered, if you arm yourselves with that same attitude when you suffer, you'll be done with sin. You won't be held back by sin for the remainder, remainder of your life, which is a shocking idea. I want you to think about it this way, because it may seem, you may, you may, you may seem, well, that, thing, that seems impossible. That, that may be what you think. I want you to think about it this way. Two weeks ago, I made the point in chapter three that Christ suffered once for sin, Peter says, to bring us to God, right? Christ suffered once so that you and I don't have to suffer again. So this, this has been accomplished. Christ suffered once for sin to bring us to God. But I want you to think about it this way. The, that means that the penalty of sin is gone. Christ, Christ took the penalty of sin away. However, the power of sin still remains. It still exists. And you know what I mean when I say this. If you've ever tried to stop doing something that you're doing, this is why it's hard. You've experienced that overcoming sin is hard. And Peter would be like, exactly, right? The penalty for that sin has been paid, taken care of. But the power of sin still exists. One way that I've heard it explained is that like Peter is like a good doctor in this verse who is being honest with you and me. And he says, this might hurt a little bit, right? The penalty is erased, but the power is still an ongoing battle for us. Peter says that when we arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ, that we can overcome sin that holds us back. It might hurt. It might take some spiritual resolve, 
It might take a certain attitude, but you can overcome what holds you back and live in the will of God. Let's keep reading and picking up in verse 3. He says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised, outsiders, that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I want you to go back, if you will, to that first slide there. I love this first line of this verse 3. Peter says that you have spent enough time in the past doing all sorts of things. And then I want you to look at the list that he lays out. I mean, this church is wild, right? You thought you had a story. I mean, these Christians that are scattered all over the place, they got crazy stories. But the reality is, regardless of how wild or crazy their story is or how tame yours is, this, these Christians, like every church, have a lot of stories about where we came from, don't we? We have a lot of stories about where we came from. And Peter is like, you've spent enough time living that way. Don't waste any more time living that way. Don't go back there. Sin has already eaten up more time than it should. Because that's what sin does, doesn't it? It eats up our time. Sin eats up our relationships. Sin eats up our resources. Sin eats up our peace, right? And so many of us, we could just line up one by one, could stand up here and give our testimonies about how sin has chewed up so much from us, taken so much from us. And Peter says, I know that sometimes that old way of living calls you back, but you've spent enough time there. Peter's original audience, different from us, was experiencing abuse from their non-Christian Neighbors. They didn't like the lifestyle that these new Christians were living, the changes that following Jesus meant for their life. They, they got criticism for that. And they're like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you joining us? Come join us. Ever been asked that question? The early Christians were blasted for things like not honoring the emperor. Aren't you going to honor Caesar? Not pursuing sex whenever they wanted to. Chasing after whatever pleasure they wanted to chase after. Having passive attitudes toward Roman customs. They earned the reputation of being haters of humanity. Christians did. Earned the reputation of being haters of humanity. And traitors of the Roman way of life. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, they were also, in addition to all these kinds of things, they were accused of cannibalism because... It was, it was a well-known fact that when Christians gathered, they were eating the body of Christ and drinking his blood. And people outside didn't understand that language, didn't understand what that meant. And so they were accused of being cannibals. And they received rejection as a result of that. Persecution, criticism as a result of their distinct way of life. And all of that obviously was hard. So Peter says, keep the end in mind. Your detractors will have to answer to God too. And really the message is the same as it's been from the beginning of the letter. You live here, but you aren't from here. And so you live a different way now, even though you're still here. But just because you aren't from here and you belong to another kingdom and another king, 
You don't get to look down on, we don't get to look down on other people in a condemning way. And that may be the word that some of us need to hear. You're trying to live your life in a certain way, and your, your temptation is to continually look down on other people who are not living the way you live. Let's keep going in verse 6. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. If you'll leave that up there just for a second. What is, what is Peter saying here? He's saying death is the ultimate judgment. These, there's a little confusion about these words. Maybe if you're, if you're reading closely, you might, that, that might jump out to you. What is he saying even there about the gospel being preached to those who are even dead? So this is what this is about. Death is the ultimate human judgment. Think about death that way. It is the ultimate human judgment because every one of us will die. Christians, like every other person, will die and will therefore receive that ultimate human punishment, be found guilty according to the human standard in regard to the body. The human standard is death. But the church has always claimed that just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we also will be raised from the dead. So as you can imagine in their context, and maybe, maybe this has even been a question for you, some of you in your mind, if the gospel was preached to these early Christians and they accepted the gospel, then why did they die just like everyone else? There's a question going on that Peter is sort of addressing. Did it work? Did the, did the gospel not have any power? And Peter's like, no, it worked. The gospel's power is still very much at work. And this is the thing that we need to know. It's, the reason that we know it worked is because death isn't the sign that the gospel has power or do, doesn't have power. Think about that again. Hear me. Death is not the sign about whether the gospel has power or doesn't have power because every person will die. All that means that when you die is that you're a human. The sign of the power of the gospel is not death, it's resurrection. The sign of the power of the gospel is not death, it's resurrection. And this is really important. Because like many of you, I was raised on a steady diet of preaching that emphasized God's judgment, right? And that shapes you when you hear that sort of preaching over and over and over again. And a lot of people were scared, quite honestly, into following Jesus because they were told that judgment is coming. And Peter says, yes, one reason that the gospel is preached is because everyone will have to give an account. Paul talks about this in Romans 14. But death isn't the sign of the gospel's power. Resurrection is. A future judgment is not the only reason that we preach the gospel, that we share the gospel. We share the good news of Jesus Christ because we want people to know that their sin has been dealt with. We need to know that our sin has been dealt with. Some of us have been Christians a long time and we're still struggling to grasp the reality that your sin has been dealt with by Jesus Christ. Praise God. And when we understand that, church, this is what it means. When we understand that our sin has been dealt with, it means that we can begin to understand that we can live now we can live resurrected lives now before we die. 
The beauty of the life that we have in Christ is not just about the hope we have beyond the grave, though I do plan to live forever, and that's really good news. But that is not the only beauty about a life in Christ. Because in Christ, what it also means is that we have life before the grave so that you can start living your resurrected life now. You don't have to wait. Amen? And how... How we live that resurrected life matters. There's some ways that it, we are called and expected to live that resurrected life because we're not like everybody else. We've been raised by Christ. And so we need to get in on it now. Start now. Begin now. And how we live that resurrected life is what he talks about next. Let's pick up in verse 7. He says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We're going to come back to that verse in just a minute. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter is assuming... <clears throat> that you already believe, that they already believe, that every follower of Jesus has been given something by God that God wants you to use to bring his kingdom to reign on the earth. Peter assumes that. You just listen to how he says it, how he talks about it. And when you know that your king has given you a gift, you want to use what you've been given and I think a really good question to do some reflection on is what gift or gifts have you received from the Lord? What gift or gifts have you received from the Lord? Peter says we have all received gifts from the Lord. And I, I would encourage you to think about this, that question this week. Some of us may know immediately the kinds of gifts that we feel like we've received from the Lord. And some of us may need to spend some time thinking about it. But Peter says, each of you have received gifts from Jesus. And the, the things that he mentions are incredibly practical. Did you hear what he said? Offer hospitality without grumbling. That means volunteer your hospitality. Do it with a cheerful heart. Serve with the strength that God provides. Speak as if speaking the very words of God. Love people well. Be generous with your time and your resources, not stingy, which is most of our default behavior. And this isn't a comprehensive list. Peter isn't trying to list every single gift that God provides. He's just mentioning a few things. And so the question that you might think about is, what is, what is my sweet spot? Like, what do I love doing? What, where, do I, where do I feel like I come most alive in the kingdom of God? And it may not be listed in Scripture. It may be that, you know, God's given you some gift of creativity or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. I don't know what it is. Like, I think that there's, there's some time for you to reflect on that and to listen to the Spirit of God at work in your heart to determine what it is that you have received. A couple of weeks ago, a group of men at this church of various ages went and repaired a porch 
for one of our ladies. That does not make me come alive. But it does for some guys, right? And, that, and praise God for that, that we're not all the same. I know of a member of this church family that drove another member to a doctor's appointment and served with the strength that God provides. I know people that, you know, do, there's all, you, we do all sorts of things that nobody ever talks about or, or sees, and that's the point, right? It's, but the, it doesn't have to be the same thing, and that's what Peter is saying. And the, the point I really think that he's making is this. We cannot be consumers. Too many Christians, there's been a whole culture of Christianity that's been created where Christians are consumers. Bookstores have been opened because Christians love to buy things, Christian things, Right? And Peter was like, what gift have you received to give away? Give and love and serve and then repeat. Give and love and serve and then repeat it again. And do you notice how he said it? Like, look, look again at, at verse 10. He says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. A lot of times when we think about grace, when we talk about grace, we think about it and talk about it in terms of salvation, we are saved by grace, which is true. But apparently, grace comes in different forms. Gifts and talents are, are grace from God. So Peter says, you receive God's grace and you give God's grace away. It flows through you. And I think this idea, which is, we could spend an entire sermon on just that idea, but I think this idea explains verse 8 that he speaks right before it. Above all, love each other Deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This is arguably the most well-known verse in all of 1 Peter chapter 4. Right? If you knew one verse, you probably knew this one. And a lot of times the problem with this verse is people pull it out of context and they make it say something that Peter isn't trying to say. Look at the con think about the context again about what he's talking about. What is the context? The context is using our gifts to serve one another. Think about this. this is, I think this is a really powerful idea that Peter shares with us. When you love people deeply, that action, Peter says, takes up the time and the space in your life that sin might otherwise take. When you choose to love other people deeply, that, the time you spend doing that takes up the time that, you, that sin might otherwise take in your life. So when you're busy loving other people deeply, serving other people, using the gifts that you've received to extend grace to the world around you, it covers a multitude of sin. Not because you're, you're doing that because you know, you're earning somehow your salvation. That's not what Peter's saying. He's saying it, in, the, in the absence of the time now, love is in the place of that. Right? So where sin previously occupied your life, now love occupies the life. So it covers all kinds of sins that you might otherwise commit that would be selfishly driven instead of service-driven, others-driven, others-focused. And again, I think the application that Peter is making is to reject becoming a consumer. Some of us, this is another hard word for us, some of us need to stop receiving and we need to start doing some of us need to stop receiving and we need to start doing. And I honestly believe that there should not be one church on the entire planet, if it is full of Christians, where a small percentage of people do the majority of the work. Hear me. 
If we really understand this, church, there should never be a church, ours or any other one, where a small percentage of people do the majority of the work. Because we all understand we have gifts to give. We all have a desire to extend God's grace. And I'm not saying that to guilt you. Guilt is from the enemy. Conviction is from the spirit. And there's a distinct difference in those. But some of us have been holding on to whatever gift we have, and you haven't been using it. And it is time to put it to work. It is time to be a distributor of God's grace. What different looks like is a church that has more volunteers than they need when they ask for help for something. And it's not about just things we do in the church. I honestly think, we, I honestly think the main reason we serve in the church is to practice serving the world. Because we don't really like to, we, we want, we're, we're selfish. We're self-focused. So it's not about, Peter's not making an application, and I'm not trying to make exclusive application of things we do in the church. I'm saying this is a place where we practice living into our calling, living into the will of God, so that we, it's, it's more natural, it's more second nature in the real world. And someone might say, Doug, but I don't want to teach. I don't want to teach a children's class or an adult class. I teach all day long, all week long. And I would say, if it's your gift, it's your gift. And someone might say, but Doug, I work hard all week long. I want to come and receive some encouragement when I come to church. And I would say, okay, do that for a week or two. But not every week. You weren't made to consume. You were made to distribute God's grace in its various forms. And someone might say, but Doug, I'm too old. I'm going to let younger people do it. I've served already in the church plenty of times. I've heard this one way more than I want to. You don't get to retire from Jesus. You don't get to stop working in the kingdom. And some of our students might say, but I'm too young. There's not really anything I can do. That's not true. There is plenty that you can begin doing now. And somebody might say, but Doug, you don't know my whole story. You don't know what's actually happened in my life. I'm not, I'm not really ready. I don't know that you need me to do some of the things that other people would do because their lives are better. They've, they've, they're more cleaned up. I've heard this one too. You were made to give away God's grace in its various forms. And some of us have been receiving and receiving and receiving, and it is time to get to serving or to get back to serving if you stopped because you thought you could retire from Jesus. And the truth is, church, sometimes what we need is not another sermon. I know that. Sometimes what we need is not another worship song. We don't need another class. We don't need another Christian book to read. You don't need to wait until your marriage is perfect to start getting to work in the kingdom of God. You don't need to wait till your kids behave. You don't need to wait till your life gets right, whatever that means. What's needed is for you to start as an imperfect but faithful steward of God's grace. Get started. Distributing grace with whatever gifts you've received. This, to me, is what different looks like. And this is who you are in Christ. And Peter says that when this happens, God is praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are humbled that...
you would see see it fitting and appropriate to allow us to be stewards of the grace that we've received, carriers of the grace that we've received into the world around us. God, I pray this morning that as we think about our specifically our suffering and things that we endure, that you'll help us to be armed with the mindset of Jesus Christ, the attitude of Jesus Christ. And that also as we think about the life that we have in Christ, that you, you call us to live our resurrected lives in a particular way, that you'll give us courage and conviction and clarity about what we need to do and where we need to serve and how we need to get to work. That today, God, your spirit will be working in some people's hearts, my heart, our hearts, as we think about who we are and how we are working in your kingdom and how we are or are not stewarding and sharing and distributing the grace that we have received. Our lives have been transformed, utterly changed, and completely turned about in the best way because of the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we will have the resolve to begin to start putting the experience that we've had to work in the world around us, in this church, in our relationships, in our homes, in our jobs. And we're thankful, Father, that you continue to pursue us and that you love us. We're thankful that in Christ, uh, we have the gifts that we have, the blessings that we have, Father. And we're thankful that your blood has covered all of our sin, that it has been dealt with, that the penalty of sin is gone and that we can live in freedom and in the knowledge knowing that we will live with you forever. We pray, Father, that you'll help these realities sink into and settle into our hearts today. You'll give us ears to hear what we need to hear, hearts ready to receive what we need to receive. We pray through the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing one song and then there'll be a closing prayer. Let's sing together.